Welcome to the Faith Community Church Podcast, a ministry of Faith Community Church in South Boston, Virginia. This week, we have a special guest with us to encourage you to deepen your faith in Jesus Christ. Well, good morning, everybody. If you have your Bible, I invite you to turn with me to the book of Ephesians, which is no surprise. We've been in this book for about five weeks now, and uh, I was really surprised when I was typing up the manuscript for this one that this is uh, my fifth sermon in the book of Ephesians, and we're almost halfway through it, so uh, we've still got a long way to go, and uh, I I hope it's been a blessing to you. I I hope it's just stirred your affections for Jesus and His church, and um, as a, it's been a blessing to me to be able to study, to be able to be in this book week in and week out, uh, just preparing to deliver a word for you all um, every Sunday. So uh, we're going to be in Ephesians chapter 3, looking at verses 1 through 13. I'll be reading from the English Standard Version. Would you follow along with me in your Bibles? For this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles, Assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you. How the mystery was made known to me by revelation as I have written briefly. When you read this, you can perceive into my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Of this gospel I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace which was given me by the working of his power. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things so that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might be now, now may be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. This is the word of the Lord. Would you pray with me? Father, we praise you and thank you that there is an empty tomb in the Middle East and an occupied throne in heaven. And it's for this reason we gather, it's for this reason we sing, and it's for this reason we open up your word and we come expecting to hear from you. I have nothing to say apart from what this book has to say. And we have nothing to hear but but what you want to speak to us this morning through your inspired word. So, Father, what we know not teach us, what we have not give us, what we are not make us, for your son's sake, amen. Well, if you uh, follow professional sports, uh, if you're uh, especially the NFL, uh, there are typically two types of rosters. Uh, And if you're unfamiliar with the term roster, roster just means a list of people that are a part of that organization, uh, people who contribute to that organization. So there are two types of rosters. There's the active roster, and then there's the inactive roster. 
right? So the active, it's pretty self-explanatory there. The active roster is the group of people who are contributing to the organization, who are scoring the points, making the passes, making the tackles, and uh, gaining uh, traction for the team. Whereas the inactive roster is the group of people who are not active on game day, right? They don't contribute uh, to the organization or to the team, uh, but they still get paid. They still wear the uniform. Uh, they just get to sit on the sideline and spectate while the active roster uh, does their thing. Well, this morning I, I want to talk about the importance of being active in the church. Unfortunately, the church has adopted some models of the business world, especially professional sports, where there's an active roster and there's an inactive roster. But the reality is, is that the Bible doesn't give us an inactive roster of saints for the church. Uh, every member essentially is a minister. That's not to minimize the roles of the offices in the church. It's just to say that once you get adopted into the family of God, you have a role in the family of God. So there's no such thing as an inactive saint on the roster of the kingdom. And so this morning, uh, my whole driving idea and what I think Paul is, is trying to demonstrate to us and show us is that being active in the church is vital to gospel living. Being active in the church is vital to gospel living. And the question we have to ask ourselves is, is why? You know, why? Why is being active in the church vital to gospel living? Now, this activity is, is more than just having your name on the roll and it's more than just showing up. Uh, and, and, and being a part of the church, as we've seen in the, in the book of Ephesians, it's not an institution. Right? The reason why being active within the body of Christ is because it's a body. It is an organism, a living thing that Jesus has created, as we saw in chapter 2, verses 11 through 22. The church is, is supposed to be mobile and active in the world, and every part has a part. Right? Just as our bodies all play a part in functioning every day, so the body of Christ all has a part in helping the body grow and be nourished and matured. And so we have to ask ourselves, well, why is being active in the church vital to gospel living? And, and I want to submit three reasons why being active in the church is vital to that. The first reason is found in verses 1 through 8. And the reason is being active in the church promotes the mystery. If you look at verses 1 through 8 with me, Paul begins his letter and says, For this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, on behalf of you Gentile. Notice Paul begins this section of his letter with, for this reason. He's done it in previous chapters, and it's natural and appropriate for us to ask ourselves when Paul writes something like this, well, what is Paul referring to when he says, for this reason? Well, uh, to my excitement, Paul's referring to my last sermon on Sunday. He's referring to verses 11 through 22. So he's referring back to uh, everything that he had indicated that Jesus was doing in the life of his church, how Jesus was building his church and the way that Jesus was building his church and the glorious truths of the gospel found in verses 11 through 22. So Paul says, for that reason, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, on behalf of you Gentiles. So essentially he's saying because of all of that, uh, and then he gets sidetracked and he starts to describe his situation, that he is in prison on behalf of the Gentiles. And so 
We might ask ourselves, well, what is Paul referring to here when he says that he is a prisoner of Christ Jesus on behalf of the Gentiles? Well, if you, if you remember in Acts chapter 21 verse, uh, through 22, uh, Paul is in Jerusalem and he goes to the temple and he's got a band of Gentiles with him. And, and uh, specifically, he's with Trophimus the Ephesian. So he's with somebody who is familiar with this area, and Paul goes into the temple uh, to perform some, uh, um, some vows that he had made, some purification rites, and he goes essentially and he worships in the temple. And so the Jews kind of get a little bit excited and a little bit stirred up because they assumed that because uh, Paul was with Gentiles, that Paul had brought Gentiles into the area of the temple that Gentiles were not allowed into. And so, of course, they assume, they make assumptions, and because Paul is associated with these Gentiles, they say, hey, Paul brought those Gentiles into the temple, and not only did Paul bring the Gentiles into the temple, but he's teaching against uh, the teachings of Moses and against the law, and he is teaching that which is contrary to the Scriptures. So Paul is hauled off to prison, uh, falsely accused, because he was merely associated with the Gentiles. So for that reason, right, Paul, because of Paul's association with those who were considered unclean, with Paul's association of the outsiders, Paul is thrown into prison and made to defend himself, which is interesting because you don't get more active in the body of Christ than being thrown into the prison, into a prison in harsh conditions uh, for the body of Christ. While most people are content to merely sit next to one another, um, or even worse, separate depending on what kind of mood we're in that week, Paul is willing to suffer for the saints. Paul gives us a model here of what it looks like to be active in the body of Christ, and he is going beyond what most of us uh, in, in our modern Christianity, what we would be willing to do for the person we sit next to. Paul says, I'm willing to suffer to promote the mystery. Again, he's in prison on behalf of the Gentiles. He's in prison on behalf of those um, who were looked at as the outsiders, as the unworthy, as the undeserving, as those who had a reputation in Jerusalem. That's why Paul uh, is sitting in prison right now because of his activity to promote the mystery. And what is the mystery? What, what is the mystery that Paul promotes just merely by being in prison? Well, if you look in verses 2 through 6, Paul says, assuming, so he goes on and after he describes his position as being in prison, he says, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation as I have written briefly. When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ. He uses the word mystery three times just between verses two through four. He says, this mystery in verse 5 was not made known to the sons of men in other generations as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. And then he answers our question in verse 6. What is the mystery that is being promoted? Well, the mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. In uh, other words, Paul is just rehashing what he explained in chapter 2, verses 11 through 22, is that God, through his reconciling work in Christ on the cross, reconciled both Jew and Gentile. Again, we talked about how those are the only real distinctions that the Bible gives us, no matter what your ethnicity was, no 
matter what your social standing was or economic class, there was only Jew and Gentile, and God, through Christ on the cross and his death, reconciled the two and killed the hostility. Paul says, uh, and goes further in verse 6, and says, not only are they fellow, uh, you are fellow saints and citizens with the outsiders, Jew and Gentile, but you are members of the same body. He gets a little bit more intimate here uh, and says, not only are you the members of the same household, but you are part of one another. And so the secret is out. What's the mystery that Paul is suffering for? What's the mystery that Paul is promoting by his activity in the life of the church? It's the mystery that God would not only save you, but that he would make a way for all of us to get along despite our preferences and differences. Paul says, for this mystery, I will suffer. I will endure. I will limit my freedom so that the freedom that you have in Christ to be one might be promoted all the more. Paul did not know uh, a Christianity that was going too far for the unity in the body of Jesus. So Paul was willing to suffer uh, confinement in order that the body might flourish in the truth. This is, this is a little bit different than if you remember in Galatians, Paul talks about Peter being in Jerusalem, you know, the, the mouth of the church uh, in Acts. He's in Jerusalem, and he's hanging out with Gentiles, if you remember. And uh, as soon as a party of, of influential Pharisees or, or Jer- uh, uh, Jewish Christians uh, walk into uh, the party, Peter separates himself from the Gentiles and then starts acting hypocritically, Paul says in uh, uh, Galatians uh, chapter 2. And then Paul confronts Peter to his face and says, um, if you, a Jew, don't live like a Jew, and you're speaking to Gentiles and demanding that they subscribe to everything you yourself don't subscribe to, he says you are out of step with the gospel. And so we have a picture of what it looks like to play an active role to not preserve the unity in the body of Christ in in one of Peter's own actions in Galatians 2. And Paul says that he is willing uh, to not only suffer embarrassment to be associated with Gentiles, but he's willing to suffer prison. And not only that, Paul doesn't consider it um, his, his duty and his delight to do this for the body of Christ. If you look in verse 2, Paul considers this a stewardship. Paul says in verse 2, uh, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you. All of Paul's gifts, all of Paul's wisdom and knowledge, all of Paul's life was given for the sake of the other person. It was given for the body of Christ. Nothing that Paul had was considered his own just for his own benefit. So we have to ask ourselves here this morning, do we steward the gift of membership into the family of God or do we squander it? Again, our default is to either separate or merely sit next to, or we just outright oppose the unity that Christ has died for for his people. So Paul essentially shows us here that being active in the body sometimes leads us to suffering for the body. It leads us to uh, our reputations uh, being squandered here. Because if Paul's in prison, well, you know, his, his credibility might be questioned by those who were influential at the time. But Paul doesn't mind 
Paul doesn't care. Paul says this mystery of the unity of Jew and Gentile is worth suffering over. And so as he does this, he's promoting uh, the mystery of both Jew and Gentile that was one, the unity between the two that was one on, uh, on the cross. Paul was not a passive player for the kingdom of God. He was active. In fact, in Colossians 1.24, uh, the cousin book of Ephesians, Paul writes, Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. And in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is, the church. So instead of shying away from the active promotion of the unity and the beauty of the church as a creation of Jesus, consisting of both Jew and Gentile, Paul went full force in being identified and working for and promoting the mystery. So again, we have to ask ourselves, how am I promoting the mystery in the body? How am I promoting the mystery? You might, you might tell yourself, you might ask yourself or think to yourself right now, well, I'm not actively working against the mystery of the unity within the body of Christ. No, you might not be, but your neutrality certainly does not promote the mystery. Right? Again, Paul was active. Every single letter you read in the New Testament, uh, every member that you see in the New Testament, uh, they were involved in something that promoted this unity in the body of Jesus. It doesn't mean different. That does not mean difficulties didn't arise out of that. Again, if you're familiar with the New Testament, there were difficulties and there were uh, things that had to be worked out. There were conflicts um, all over the place. Uh, but what we don't see in the New Testament is when the conflicts come, that people just kind of quit on one another and quit on the body. That was the last thing that the apostles and the prophets and the church planters and the missionaries and the members of Jesus in the New Testament did. They were about one another because they knew their Savior was about the person that they were serving and sitting next to. Think about it. Everybody in the New Testament, when we read uh, all those who were active in the church, they loved the church not because the church in and of herself was beautiful or didn't have any flaws. They loved the church because they knew their Savior loved the church. Right? Peter loved the church because Peter, while having breakfast with his Savior before he ascended, uh, Jesus says, if you love me, feed my sheep. And it didn't matter if that sheep was Jew, and it didn't matter if that sheep was Gentile. It didn't matter where that sheep came from after it was wandering. Jesus just said, love them. And he, and he, and he connected the love for him with the love for his people. And so Paul here shows us what it looks like to love the body and be active in the body of Christ. So are you active in the body of Christ, or are you simply on the inactive list? Do you want, the, uh, do you want the, the uniform? Do you want the title? Do you want the position? Do you want the benefits of the family of God without the labor of love that comes with being in the family of God? So being active is vital to gospel living because it promotes the mystery the mystery of unity won on the cross by Jesus. The second reason why being active in the church uh, is vital to gospel living is that being active in the church propagates the message. So it not only promotes the mystery, but it propagates the message. Look at verses 8 through 10 with me. So after Paul uh, goes into describing the mystery of the unity, he says in verse 8, To me, though I am the very least of all the saints... This grace was given 
to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things so that through the church the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. So not only is Paul in prison for the saints, but he's preaching. Right? All of us know uh, what it's like to kind of sit in confinement, right? And the world not to work the way that we want it to work. All of us the past two years have been through COVID. Right? We know what it's like to be in lockdown. We know what it's like to have freedoms and rights taken away from us. Um, and, and yeah, what we see here, and if you're anything like me, when that first happened, like I, I, I told the elders the first meeting I had with them, I am a, a human golden retriever. I love being around people, right? I embrace people. And so when COVID came and lockdown came, um, I was far from uh, living, uh, I, I did not have a holy perspective on it. I was, I was grumbling most of the time, right? And so uh, that kind of sense of lockdown actually uh, didn't, didn't really sit well with me. But Paul here in lockdown, right, in prison, isolated from the community, instead of complaining and grumbling and, and, and instead of uh, petitioning the church to get him out of prison, what he does is he just preaches. So he's in there because of the, the body, because of the mystery. And then while he's in there, he preaches uh, the message, Right? He preaches the unsearchable riches of Christ. What are the unsearchable riches of Christ? Well, he's preaching riches to the poor. He's preaching a home to the homeless. He's preaching rest to the weary. He's forgiveness to the sinner. Resurrection to the dying. Grace to the shamed. All in Christ. Right? He, say, he talks about preaching the unsearchable riches of Christ. In other words, you should never cease to be searching out the riches of Christ because they're unsearchable. Every bit of all that we need is in the unsearchable riches of that person. And so Paul dedicates his life as he's active in the body. He preaches the unsearchable riches. And look who he says he preaches it to. He says, this grace was given to me to preach to the Gentiles. So he preaches to the outsiders. He preaches the unsearchable riches to those uh, who were not being searched out by the community of God. He preaches to those people uh, the blessings and the wealth of Jesus. And then he goes on and says, not, not only is he preaching the unsearchable riches of Christ to the Gentiles, but he's bringing to light to everyone. He's bringing to light to everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages. And the plan, he doesn't have to explain what the plan of the mystery is here because he already explained it in chapter 1, verse 10, when he said the plan was to unite all things um, in heaven and earth to Christ. So when we preach the unsearchable riches to Christ, what we're doing is we're saying, hey, everything points to Jesus. Everything is going to point to and adore uh, and worship and bow down at the infinite worth of Jesus Christ. And that uh, king, that infinite, glorious person, not only are we going to look to him and bow down to him, but that person actually came and humbled himself down here on earth and actually laid his life down for, you, uh, for those who would accept him in faith. And so Paul spends most of his time preaching the unsearchable riches of Christ. And again, we just keep having to ask ourselves questions when in light of what Paul is doing for the church and on behalf of the church, 
Are we preaching the unsearchable riches of Christ? So are, are, we, uh, are, we, are we active? Are we promoting the mystery in the way that we love the church? And are we preaching the unsearchable riches of Jesus? Are we preaching, them to ourse- are we preaching Christ to ourselves? Are we preaching it to the outside world? What is our primary message? Is our primary message our secondary preferences, as we talked about last Sunday? Is our, is our primary message our political allegiance? Is our primary message uh, some uh, uh, tradition of what church should be or church should look like or what, what should you know, happen? Look, our primary message, the, the unsearchable riches of Jesus is not only for those who don't know Jesus, it's for those who do know Jesus because we tend to forget Jesus a lot. So when Paul says, I not only preach the unsearchable riches to the Gentiles, to those who are outside, but I preach it to everyone. As long as you were a body, Paul was going to preach the unsearchable riches of Jesus Christ. As long as you had breath, Paul was, like, we should be really annoying towards one another and towards the outside world about the unsearchable riches of Jesus, right? Because if he is wealth in himself, is if you can't exhaust the beauty, the wisdom, the knowledge, the provision, the mercy, and the grace, and the wonder of Jesus Christ, his incarnation, his death, his resurrection, right? Those are all things pertaining to Jesus that you could not find out and reach the depth or the bottom of. And so when Paul preaches the unsearchable riches to Jew and Gentile and to everybody, what he's doing is he's just constantly pointing back that all things are going to be pointing to him. So being active in the church looks like propagating that message. It looks like looking at one another and saying, hey, um, hey, remember Christ crucified, risen, and seated on his throne. Hey, remember Christ becoming sin so that you might become righteousness in him. As the body of Jesus, we have one message, and it's Christ and Him crucified and Him risen and Him reigning and Him coming back and Him being Lord of all and Him being uh, head over the church and Him being fully God and fully man, the only one who knows every bit of our sorrow, every bit of our suffering, every bit of our uh, uh, temptation, yet being without sin, and also knows the full deity of the Godhead, and He offers Himself to us. Paul preaches the unsearchable riches of Christ, and he brings to light, verse 9, for everyone, what is the plan of the mystery. In other words, all things are going to be pointing back to him, which was hidden for ages in God, who created all things, so that through the church the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in heavenly places. You know what I find interesting about this? That when we preach the unsearchable riches of Christ to those who don't know Christ and to those who do know Christ, we're not only preaching Christ to those two groups, but we're also preaching Christ to the authorities and the rulers in the heavenly places. You want to push back darkness in your communities and in the churches and in your families? Preach the unsearchable riches of Christ. You want to see the gates of hell shake and get pushed back? You preach Jesus. 
You don't preach yourself. You don't preach a version of yourself that's going to get it together one day. You don't preach um, a version of society that you think is going to make everything better, that's going to fix all of the nonsense that's happening in our world. You preach the light of the world, the bread of life, and the true living water. You preach that name, and you preach that person, and you offer that to one another and to those outside. That's going to push back darkness. The rulers in the heavenly places and the authorities don't care what your name is, and they, don't, and they certainly don't care, uh, they, they don't feel the weight and the power of the authority of anything that comes from this world, but they do feel the weight and the authority and the power of Jesus Christ. You see in the Gospels time and time and again, the demons did not care that the temple was populated with Pharisees, but when Jesus walked in, that's when they started that's when they started to get scared. Paul writes in Colossians 3.16, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness to your heart in God. Um, when, when, I first, uh, when my wife and I first started talking, um, that's all I would talk about with people. Right? Like when, and those of you who are married and have a significant other, you know what that phase is like when, when, when you, you're texting each other and then you, you know, like the topic of your conversation is, guess what she texted me today? Guess, get, look what joke she said. Isn't she hilarious? Or like, hey, guess what? You know, and that was me when I first started talking to my wife. Like my roommates kind of got annoyed because I'd be like, hey, guess what Anna said this time? Or I'd be like, or, hey, we were talking about this and this was amazing. What, what I was doing is, is I was talking about the object of my affection right at the time. Um, and, and so if, 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 if we can do that with a, with a spouse, with an earthly being, right, um, how are we also not uh, talking and, and using almost every breath and almost every energy to talk about the unsearchable riches of Jesus and his love for us? Hey, hey look, at, look at what Jesus said. You know, I went around and said, look at, look, at what, look at what Anna said in my text messages. But look, look at what Jesus said in his word. Look, about, look at what Jesus has done. Look at Jesus. Preach Jesus. Sing Jesus. And pray. Because that gives life to people and pushes back the darkness. So... When we're active in the life of the church, or we're active in the church, it propagates the message. And third, being active in the church positions us in the midst of God. Look at verses 11 through 13. This was according, Paul writes, to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. If you look at verse 11 again, he says, this was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord. Christ already knew this whole thing was going to, he already knew how this thing was going to be built. He knew how it was going to be built and he knew how he was going to ultimately redeem the world and it was going to be through his church. I, mean, I, th I think about verse 10 when Paul writes this beautiful words, so that through the church the manifold wisdom of God might be manifested to the 
authorities and rulers in the heavenly places. Through the dysfunctional, imperfect, redeemed, sinful group of people, that's how God was going to demonstrate his wisdom to the world. That is a wonderful, wonderful, mysterious thing to think about. And Paul, so Paul says, being active in the church positions us in the midst of God. Well, in what way does that position us in the midst of God? Well, verse 11 says it positions us in the midst of God's will. You were in the center of God's purposes when you were active in God's family. I mean, one of the questions that, you know, is often asked is, is what is God's will for my life? Well, if you're a redeemed believer in, in Jesus, it's to be active in his body, right? That is just very clear. That is as black as white as in the pages in our scriptures. To be active in the life of his body, you are in the center of God's purposes, fulfilling God's will for your life. And not only that, but to be active in the church positions us in the midst of God in the sense of we're in his will, we're in his perfect will, fulfilling his perfect eternal purposes, but we are also in the midst of his presence. We're in the midst of his presence here. He says in verse 12, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. Right, so we have, Paul already explained this in chapter 2, verses 11 through 22, that we have access to God the Father in one spirit. We don't have to tiptoe into the throne room. We don't have to shy away from God's presence. We have total access any time of day, any place, and especially as the body assembled together. Because he says in, in, in chapter 2, verse 22, in him you are also being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. The reason why the temple is obsolete now is because the body is becoming the temple by which God dwells in. So to be an individual lone Christian uh, is foreign to the New Testament. To be out of the body is, is kind of... It's, it's, it's kind of like a paradox. A Christian outside of the body of Christ, is, it doesn't really make sense because you were adopted into a family. And so Paul says, especially as a group of people, God is with us. You have total access to God just by being present with his people. I and mean, that's a, a, a wonderful thing to think about. Uh, a member reminded me uh, last Tuesday uh, that one of the reformers, John Calvin, opened up his prayers and his sermons every Sunday with, the Lord of hosts is with us. With us. With, 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 and, and with all that you brought in with you, God is with you. With all of the sin and doubt and disappointment and, and weariness of the week, with all the joy, with all the, with all the goodness, with everything that we brought in together, God stands in the midst of that. And we have access to him with confidence, Paul says. So being active in the church is, is much, much more than just being a part of a club, an institution, a denomination. You are part of the body of Jesus and part of one another, Paul says. You are members of one another. And so the call 
is to promote the mystery of the unity of the body of Jesus. It's to propagate the message of the unsearchable riches of Jesus. Um, And it is also uh, to be positioned in the midst of God's will, both his purposes for the church and to be in his presence. So if you're here today and, and you feel alienated and strange and cut off from both God and his people, well, you can have total access, right? Paul says that all of us were by nature children of wrath. All of us were alienated, strangers, uh, cut off uh, from Christ, um, from the promises of God. And, And so Paul says the way into that family, the way into access to God the Father, is by simple faith, and the head of the church, Jesus, the one who is building the church, the one who died for the church, the one who gives you access to the throne room, guilt-free, standing in the presence of God, clothed in righteousness, not your own. To be part of this family is to not uh, meet a certain set of requirements or to come from uh, a certain demographic or background. It's to be found in union with Jesus, the one who reconciles us both to one another and the one who reconciles us to God the Father and makes us this beautiful, wonderful, imperfect, dysfunctional at times family that God is using to demonstrate his wisdom. I think it's appropriate to end and to conclude with Romans 10, 9 through 13. I never want a Sunday to go by where the gospel is not clearly communicated and preached. And so I invite you, if you are outside of Christ and, out, and therefore outside of his family, be reconciled to God. Be reconciled. I hear people talk about, I mean, I just need to get right with God. You don't need to do certain things to get right with God. You just have to, you just have to lay it at the feet of Jesus Repent of your sin and say, my way has not worked, so I'm going to go through Jesus. I'm going to submit to Jesus as Lord of my life. And Paul says in Romans 10, 9-13, because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart, again, this isn't just lip service, this is a real belief that changes your real life, that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. So you bring your shame to Jesus. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So if you find yourself strangers and cut off and feeling the shame, feeling guilt, uh, feeling the weight of your sin, know that there is a great Savior. Know that there is a perfect Savior who stands ready to take it away and to replace it with the acceptance, with the beauty, with the righteousness of Christ, and you stand guilt-free before the throne. Let us pray. Father, thank you for... Your infinite kindness and and wisdom 
and your work in Jesus Christ. We thank you that, um, that you are building your church, and not only are you building your church, but you call us to be active in it, that you actually invite us uh, into your plan to unite all things to the creator of the universe and the sustainer of it all. You invite us to participate in a mission to reach all nations, both Jew, Greek, Gentile, people from all backgrounds, to be a part of this family. Lord, we thank you that we have the opportunity to be active in that. And we pray that we would consider it a stewardship of God's grace and not something to be squandered or punted on, that we could just be neutral in. Lord, your word reminds us that we were not neutral prior to our salvation in you, that we were carrying out works of darkness. So we, may we walk in the good works that you've prepared for us beforehand, that we might glorify you and that we might bring more people into the fold. You, you said in John that there are sheep that are not of this fold that you must go out and tend to. I pray that we would also do the same as your body and that we would build each other up by propagating the message of the unsearchable riches of Jesus. I pray that you build your church, and I pray that as you build your church, we would be active in your church and as your church. Lord, we love you. We thank you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you so much for listening. To learn more about Faith Community Church, you can find us online at fccsobo.org or on our Facebook page by searching Faith Community Church. As always, God loves you, we love you, and we hope you have a wonderful week.